We're in Ephesians 1.15, coming to one of the great prayers in the letters of Paul. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 15, just three verses. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Nearly all of Ephesians 1 is prayer. There's two verses of introduction, and then beginning in verse 3, 3 through 14 is praise, blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and then 15 through 23 is petition. 3 through 14 is praise for God for all of His blessings to us, and then 15 through 23 is petition that we would know and understand those blessings and really know God. And so all of Ephesians 1, practically, is prayer. He begins by saying, for this reason, that is because of all that God's done for us, ever since or because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a little bit of a question there. Uh, why does he say, I've heard of it? Because he used to live there. He, he, was, he spent three years of his life in Ephesus, more than any other church by far. So why would he say, Ever since I heard of these, well, this is why, is because it had been 10 years, 10 years since he had been in Ephesus. He'd been all over the empire. Now he's in Rome. He's under house arrest, and a report just came, and a lot of new believers in that 10-year period, a lot of things had changed and happened, and he just got a report about their faith and their love, and he says, ever since I've heard that, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So I'm thrilled to death. Now, when he says faith in the Lord Jesus... Uh, interesting that he doesn't say faith in God or faith in the Father. He could easily have done that, but you can say faith in Jesus because Jesus is God. And by the way, that is the way, that the sort of unselfconscious way that the New Testament treats the deity of Christ. Sometimes it kind of focuses on it, but more, more, mostly it just assumes it, and it's just there, faith in the Lord Jesus. So faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints. So he's just thrilled to death that the reports are coming in, that they're trusting God, and they're loving one another. Now, we're about to move into a focus on prayer. He's telling him about prayer. And if you've got faith in the Lord Jesus, then you've got prayer. Because the way we express our trust and faith in God as humans is to call out to God, to pray to God. That just, just goes hand in glove. If, if you've got faith in the Lord, then you call out to Him. You pray. You express it. By the way, it goes with love too. If you love anybody, won't you automatically pray for them? If you're a believer, pray for your kids, pray for your spouse, pray for your church, pray for your small group. If you care about somebody and you're a believer, then of course, you're just automatically going to pray for them. So these things go with prayer. Notice also that he says in verse 15, your love toward all the saints. Now, that is Paul's characteristic term for believers, for Christians. If you were with us in verse 1, when he first addressed the Christians in Ephesus, he says, to the saints 
who are in Ephesus. And then here in 15, uh, your love for all the saints. Next week in verse 18, uh, inheritance in the saints, and on and on throughout the book. Now, our favorite term probably for believers is probably the term Christians. But that term is only used three times in the New Testament. Paul's favorite term is the word saints. Now, that's a little bit um, awkward for us because the English word saints means spiritual elites. In fact, it's those who've been canonized by the Catholic Church. You know, like Saint, uh, Mother Teresa was recently, Saint Teresa. Uh, but in the New Testament, the word saints is used of every single believer. Now, if you were with us in verse 1, you know why. Because that word saints is the basic word holy. It's the plural uh, adjective hagios, uh, holy, uh, plural noun hagioi, um, holy ones. What is God saying? He's saying that my people who have been redeemed by my, my son's blood, they are holy before me. That they're completely forgiven of all their sins. Now, church, this is the way God sees you. You are completely redeemed, forgiven, much love, fully forgiven, adopted kids. Now, we don't tend to see ourselves that way because we tend to be a little critical. And, and you know, all of us tend to do that. I, I, I do. And uh, we tend to, you know, find faults with other people. And, and we're also flawed. And we got, got plenty of them. But, but God sees us in Christ and not in ourselves. You know, every time we take communion, we're reminding ourselves, this is the way God sees us, fully forgiven because we're in Christ, washed by the blood of Christ. So um, why don't we just, you know, kind of get that mindset? That's St. Rudy right over there. And that's St. Duncan right there. And that's St. Rebecca right there. And, and what if we just saw each other and ourselves, the way God sees us. Not with our problems and flaws that, you know, we haven't uh, uh, been delivered of yet, but we're right with God. We're holy with God. Okay, that's the way God and Paul uh, sees believers. All righty. In light of all of that, in light of their faith and their love, he says in verse 15 or 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says, because of your faith and love, uh, I just do not stop praying for you. I, I don't stop giving thanks for you. I don't stop praying for you. He's going to get to real soon uh, what he prays for them, some of the sorts of things he prays for them. Now think about this. Paul is 700 miles away. There's Ephesus over in modern-day Turkey, down below Istanbul somewhere, across uh, on the other side of Greece, up to Italy, up toward the north. In Rome, Paul is under house arrest. He is probably chained to two guards. But his heart is in Ephesus. And he says, I do not cease praying for you. I do not cease giving thanks for you and, and, and remembering you in my prayers. His heart was with the people. Apparently, Paul was just praying for them a lot. Uh, many times. Elsewhere, he talks about how we ought to pray without ceasing, nonstop, all the time, just part of our life. Probably several times a day he was praying. At the end of this book, he talks about the spiritual battle. 
we're going to come to that great passage about the spiritual warfare. And part of spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, is prayer. And we need that uh, weapon of prayer. And in 618, notice what he says about prayer. He says, praying at all times unceasingly. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. You don't stop praying. Making supplication for all the saints. About five alls in that, in that verse. Don't stop praying. Let prayer characterize your life. It's just almost like breathing. You're just always in conversation with the Father. I do not cease giving thanks. And why, why do you do that? Because prayer is not only the greatest privilege of a human being, but prayer is the real work when it comes to, to, to doing ministry and loving people and reaching people. It's the real work. It's where the power is. Prayer accesses omnipotence. Okay, we've got four people down in Ecuador, or four adults, a couple of kids in Ecuador, in Cuenca. And uh, the Burtons uh, went there first. Uh, it was an elder at Wood's Edge. And, and they've been there about five years. And we were really on the cusp of a movement, which there's technical definitions, but basically... It's where just um, people are coming to Christ, and it just kind of begins, begins to go viral. And they're on the cusp of that. Uh, recently, we got this report a couple of weeks ago about uh, a woman outside of Cuenca who, uh, not a believer, so discouraged, so depressed, wanted to take her life, and she drinks a can of weed killer poison. And, uh, you know, she's left there just, you know, lifeless. Her fa family finds her, rushes her to a clinic, they examine her briefly enough to see that, you know, there's nothing they can do for her. They take her into the hospital in Cuenca, the closest big city. And again, they examine her, do tests, and apparently all the insides where the weed killer went is just, you know, completely demolished and destroyed. And, and there's just nothing we can do, trying to keep her comfortable. Well, Bob Burton has a close friend, Pastor Mario, that he works with. I, I've met Pastor Mario, did a little radio thing about a year and a half ago when I was down there. Dear believer. And Pastor Mario heard about this woman who had tried to kill herself and was just about dead. He uh, goes to the hospital with his wife, asks, can I pray for her? Just, you know, can I just pray for her? So, sure, you know, he goes in the room, her husband, two doctors, maybe there's some other family, I forget. And, you know, they're just waiting until she dies. And Pastor Mario and his wife lay hands on her and start praying. And as soon as they do, she sort of turns to her side and throws up this black junk. Sorry for the picture. Throws up this black junk and then leans back and sits upright. And as if she's normal. The doctors take her, examine her, and all the tissue is healthy. That had been completely burned. So completely fine. And uh, the two doctors there want Pastor Mario's phone number for future, future cases. Um, prayer accesses omnipotence. You've got a challenge here in this country. We've got a challenge. It's because we've got so much stuff. We've got doctors left and right. Charles Sukaluza is our close pastor friend in Malawi. He was here this past week. And uh, we're talking about prayer, and I just... Couldn't help but just turn to Charles. Charles, why do the Africans, like Abby, pray with such more, so much more heart than most Americans? And I knew the answer because I can remember Charles talking about a time when he was younger, severely sick, and there was no doctor to go to. 
Now, I'm all for doctors. I go to doctors. But there is a certain level of desperateness when you don't have H-E-B food stores, you know, with plenty of food you can go down to get to all the time, and doctors and other things. And Charles said, you know, we just more desperate. We don't have doctors all the time to go to. And uh, the point is not to, go, not, to, not to not go to doctors, but the point is, is that we would recognize that, in fact, we are desperate. Yes, we got doctors. Yes, we got H-E-B grocery stores. But there are things in every single one of our lives. There are problems. There are challenges. There are sins we battle with. There are addictions. There are kids who aren't walking with the Lord. We got plenty of challenges that no human can fix. We need the power of God, don't we? We are, in fact, desperate, and we need to realize it. Prayer accesses the omnipotence. It's the slender nerve accessing the omnipotence of God, as it has been said. Okay, Paul says, I, give th- I don't say he's giving thanks. That's a big part of it. I, he's so thankful for what God's doing in their lives. And then he prays in verse 17. Here's the essence of it. We'll elaborate next week. Here's the essence of it. He says in 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. He's not talking about intellectual knowledge here. He's talking about experiential knowledge. He's talking about, Lord, may they know you. May they really know you. May they know you better and better. May they love you more and more. That just goes hand in glove with knowing God and loving God. Lord, may the Christians at Ephesus grow closer and closer to you. Fill them with a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge to know you better and better. Now, in this passage... And elsewhere, we're going to see Paul's, uh, the, the way he looked at prayer is just so vital and such a privilege. And that's the exact same way that Jesus looked at it. Because we, we know in the Gospels, he's always praying. He's devoted to prayer. And that is the same way that the early church in the book of Acts treated prayer. So you got Paul, you got Jesus, you got the early church. We got a pattern here. This is the way the people of God ought to look at prayer. We got a challenge because we got so much money and organization that it's so easy to depend upon those things, despite our desperateness that we're not seeing the breakthroughs in our personal lives and in our cities where we really want down deep. And it will only come by prayer. In 2002, this church had been going for nine years. We were much smaller, 500 people or so, 500, 600 people, I bet. We had four leaders that were kind of like our leaders on the staff team. We had a small staff. And we had a retreat before the next ministry season started. We went down to Brazosport. And uh, this was August. And we began praying about the coming ministry season. And we felt like God put on our hearts that this coming ministry season, focus on prayer. Make that your top priority. So we did. I went out for a run later that afternoon. And I feel like God put several things on my heart. Uh, Jeff started writing a devotional about prayer. That's how my devotional started going out. That fall, I wrote on prayer uh, every day, Monday through Friday. We changed our weekly staff meeting from a communication meeting to a prayer meeting. And it's still that way today. We um, had three days of prayer and fasting. We did other things to raise the level of prayer. One of the things is Greg Johnson, our worship pastor, had kind of a small prayer gathering on Thursday nights after their choir rehearsal. He kept inviting me to go, but I kept declining. And uh, 
we decided that we're going to make that a priority. So the senior pastor needed to start going. So we, we, we made the, the weekly prayer service a priority. We had a band director from Oak Ridge High School in there who'd been diagnosed with some kind of cancer. I forget what it was, if it was lung cancer or whatever. But, uh, you know, God healed him. And the doctor looked for an hour for that lung cancer. Eh? It's not just in uh, Ecuador. Just look for an hour. Where is that thing? And it was gone. And I think God was just encouraging us that he is a God who answers prayer. And some other things happened. And we were on a journey. Now, I believe, my conviction is this, is that when the level of prayer rises in a church, that everything else rises in the church. Like a lake. Some of you are water skiers. When the water level in the lake rises, all the boats rise, don't they? And that's the way it is. Prayer in a church. When the water level goes up, everything, things begin to happen. Our church began to change. I'd say the last four or five weeks, we are in the, the, the biggest stirring about prayer since that start back in August of 2002. There are some things happening, particularly on Wednesday nights, uh, but in some individuals' lives that, that I think is the biggest stirring about renewing this heart for prayer that, that we've seen since then. And I just don't want it to be cut short. I want us to fully experience what God is calling us as a church to. And if he's called you to Wood's Edge, he's calling you to this. Um, just pause with me a second. Let me remind you what the Bible says about prayer. The Bible says, or teaches these truths, that prayer is where the power is. It's where the real work is. What, what I mean, what we mean when, when we say prayer is the real work is this. The real work is not when Jeff gets up here and preaches. It's not when uh, you're doing your ministry. The real work happens in the prayer closet when you're calling out to God, when you're calling on the name of the Lord. That is the real work because that is where the power is. Now, other things are important, but this is what is most important. The Scriptures would also teach this. Pray first. Don't pray last. Don't pray as a last resort, but as a first resort. Pray first. That's always the first thing to do. Pray. Oh, God. Would you please rescue? Now, this third one is very important. Prayer is your greatest privilege. See, I'm not going to offer you the duty of prayer. I'm going to offer you the privilege of prayer because prayer is just connecting with God. And, and what could be bigger than that? that? That you're drawing close to God. Prayer is not asking things of God. That's a, that's a part of prayer, but that's not the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is that you're connecting with the Father. You're drawing close to Him. You're loving Him couple of quotes. Richard Foster, in his book on prayer, says this. He says, real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. It's a love relationship. You know, nobody, uh, not duty here. Uh, you get to be with your father who is crazy in love with you like no one else. Or A.W. Tozier, even better. He says, the continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the souls of the redeemed men and women is the throbbing heart of the New Testament. Okay, you want to know what the heart of the New Testament is? It's not the commands. It's not, uh, you know, any kind of religious duty. The heart of the New Testament is this sort of continuous love relationship between the Father and His kids. That's the heart of the New Testament. And when you get that down for prayer, when you understand that for prayer, nobody has to tell you to pray. You're just going to be praying. It's just what you do. You're just part of that. All righty, a few more, few more principles about prayer from the New Testament. Pray from your heart when you pray. That is, put your, put your heart into it. Have a little fire in your belly. Um, 
someone said of Martin Luther, I overheard him in prayer, but good God, with what spirit and life did he pray? It was with so much reverence as if he were talking to God and so much confidence as if he were speaking to a friend. Heart. Pray unceasingly. That's what we see in this passage. We see it elsewhere. Pray without ceasing. And this is what I think it means, is that there are times in which we, you know, hit our knees, we're, you know, alone, we're with the Lord, we're, we're focused on prayer. But besides that, uh, just as we go through life, we're just all the time talking with prayer. You're on the phone with a friend, they mention a need, hey, let's pray about that. That is your reflex. Let's pray about that. You're driving your car to work. You, you don't have talk radio on. Uh, you're praying. You're interceding because, man, there's, there's great needs out there. there. There are marriages that are going to dissolve, and kids are going to be changed forever. And we need great needs for healing left and right. And we need teenagers to, to, to start walking with God because they're making some horrible decisions. And so we're praying. We're calling out to God. You're, you're washing the dishes. You're vacuuming the carpet. You're taking your garbage out. You're praying. You, you develop a lifestyle where you're just always sort of calling out to God. Now, sometimes you're worshiping and giving thanks, but often you are also interceding. Number seven, skipping six, intercession is your highest calling as a believer. Now, intercession simply means when you pray for other people. You ought to pray for yourself because you're dependent upon God, but, you, but intercession is when you're praying for other people. Now, uh, this is your highest calling for every believer. The greatest thing that you can do is when Don McDonald has a need there that, you know, you may at times have some things to say to Don, maybe some things to do with Don or for Don, but the greatest thing to do for Don is to call out to God to provide and protect and guide Don. It is the greatest act of love. It accesses the power of God. It is the most important thing you can do. By the way, some of you, every believer is called to intercession, but some of you, that's your main spiritual gift, and we'd like to know about it. If this is your main spiritual gift, I know about a number of you, I'd like to know about it. Would you mind just writing your name down a card, write intercession, and give it to me after the service or put it in one of the offering boxes in the back? We'd like to know about it. We want to strategically leverage your calling. But all of us, intercession is huge. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who gave his life in the battle against Hitler, he said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. This is what I think, you think he means. I think if he, he's saying that if there's a lot of intercession going on in the church, they're always praying for one another. The needs are there. They're committed to praying. They pray without ceasing. They pray in their small groups. They pray for their pastor. They pray for, you know, just people with needs. They're praying about cancer in their church. That if that goes on a lot, that church is going to thrive and flourish. But if it doesn't go on very much, that church is going to be spiritually die, dry and dead. It's just, it's so important. The next one. Eight, intercession is hard work. I don't offer you uh, an easy vegging kind of a task, you know, for the television. This is a sacrifice. It takes time and it takes energy. It's work. Somebody put it this way. He said, intercession is a sacrifice, a bleeding sacrifice. You bleed some when you pour out your heart for other people. But it is the most important thing you can do. It's love. Finally, one more. God loves it 
when we pray together. Now, here's the challenge. Here in the United States, some of you weren't born in the United States, but here in the United States, we are so individualistic. We are. It's just part of our culture. And the two states that I've lived in the most, they have it on steroids, Texas and Oregon. You know, just so individualistic. And that's fine. There's a place for individualistic stuff. But do you know that the heart of the New Testament is not individual, it's community. It's church. It's body, body of Christ. If your spiritual life, including your prayer life, is not rooted in the community, rooted in the church, it is less than a fully biblical spiritual life. It is. It is defective. It is deficient. Now, there's times where absolutely you're going to get along with the Father every day, I hope. But there's also times, a lot of times, where we're praying together, and God loves that. Do you know that, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but maybe 90% of the prayers in the Bible are communal? or corporate, or together prayers, all through the Psalms. You know, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he did not say, pray this way, my Father in heaven, da-da-da-da-da, give me this day my daily bread. No, no, plural pronouns throughout. Okay, this is how y'all are to pray. Get together. Our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, etc. God loves it. When we pray together, there's more power there. There's just something about it. It's partly our wiring, and it's partly the nature of God. On Sunday mornings, we pray together. In fact, in the worship, you know, we're all going hard after the Lord. I hope you're with us. But most of the other prayers, or the spoken prayers, uh, there are people like me who pray, and all of us pray silently. But Wednesday nights, we're all praying hard to God. And it's a great thing. It is the best service at Wood's Edge. It is the place where it is the greatest sense of the presence of God, the greatest passion for God. Uh, it is our best service. And God loves it when we come together and call out to Him. So that is sort of the overview. Paul's heart and calling with prayer. Now, in wrapping things up this morning, I've got four takeaways, four Uh, things that I'm going to encourage you to do in response. But what I really want is at the end of this time for you to ask God, Lord, what, what do you have for me? Lord, what are you saying to me? If you're calling this whole church to raise the bar on prayer, what does that mean for me? That's what I'm going to do. But here are the four things. First of all, despite what I just said about community prayer, take time alone every day, unhurried time with the Lord. You know, that, that, that is important, too, that you've got this unhurried time alone with the Lord to draw close. It's just absolutely essential. We need it to, uh, uh, for, for a lot of reasons we need it, to know, to know Him, to love Him, to have our souls restored and renewed. Uh, in the middle somewhere is Omar Vingar. And uh, Omar, could you? Yeah, that's Omar. Omar and Brooke, right next to him, um, five or six weeks ago, they lost their three-month-old son. And some of us have been walking with them through that and just, you know, we, we cannot imagine. Unless you've experienced that, you don't know what their feel, it feels like. But when I see Omar on Sunday, I tend to see Omar more than Brooke, I just ask him, you know, how are y'all doing? How are you and Brooke doing? By the way, when somebody goes through a crisis, whether it be divorce, death, or whatever, don't avoid them. I know we don't know what to say, but just go up to them and say, I care. Or just, how are you? Just don't avoid them. 
Okay, I go to Omar, and last Sunday, I think it was, I, I asked Omar, you know what, how are y'all doing? And he's always honest with me. He said, Jeff, good days and bad days. And that is a true-to-life response. But he also, last Sunday, said this to me. Jeff, I want you to know this. You've been talking about this time alone with God and said, you know, the last five or six weeks, I've been doing that every day, and it has meant the world to me. And every single one of us need that. Whatever your life circumstance is currently, it Every single one of us. Because this is what Jesus said. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I don't know about you, but I am weary and heavy laden every day. And you probably are too. And you come to Jesus, and you give him your burdens, and he gives you his rest. And he restores your soul. And we need that. We need it. Take time with God every day. Make it a priority. Secondly, pray throughout the day. And that's what my message has been so much about, that we develop a lifestyle that when we're driving down Woodlands Parkway, we are praying and interceding. We develop a lifestyle when we're on the golf course. But while we're out by ourselves over there, we're not with somebody else talking, we are, we are interceding. We develop a lifestyle that just throughout the day, we are calling out to God, and we're going to see more things happen. Pray throughout the day. Thirdly, Read or reread Jim Simla's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. This book has meant so much to me. This past week, I read it for my fourth time, and I was surprised that it meant so much to me the fourth time. Wow. You know, just that fired me up again. So watch out. Um, many of you have read this. All of our staff and elders are reading it, but I'm hearing more and more about folks reading it. We have it always in our bookstore. We've got it in the kiosk out front. Maybe you're not a, a visual learner. You don't like to read. Uh, get it audio. Uh, let's all um, read this and, 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 and see what God has to say for us. Read Fresh One, Fresh Fire, or reread it. Fourth, the last one, come to the prayer service if at all possible. I know for some of you, you're out of town, you're, you're, you're working during the time, it just doesn't work. But for many of you, rearrange your schedule, if at all possible, to come to the prayer service. I've already told you that it, everybody who comes regularly considers it the best, best service at Woods Edge. And, uh, the, well, let me tell you a little story. In 2013, it was late February, and I feel like God puts two things on my heart to begin praying for that I called in the miracle category. One of them involved our debt. We, at the time, we had $6.9 million of debt. We got way too much debt when we moved in with the recession at the same time. And we had been paying off our debt $2 million a year. We were living on far less than we were taking in, $2 million a year. Well, we had $6.9 million, and I'm so tired of that debt, and so I'm going to start asking God, God, could we pay off, pay off the debt in this calendar year? And I Went public with it, got you praying about it too. By November 1st of that year, the debt had been completely paid off. And uh, that, that was just so big for us because it allowed us to get out of and stay out of debt, debt-free, and to start giving 50% of our regular income outside the walls of the church. And it's just been so fun to do that. The second prayer, I'm still praying because it hadn't been answered yet. And that was this. Uh, I feel like God put it in my heart to start praying that we'd pack out the prayer service. I mean that the prayer service would look like this, like the second service on Sunday mornings. Now, uh, why? 
Why did I pray that? Well, I'm not sure all that was in my heart. I just basically sensed that that's what God wanted and that things would happen if that many folks in a church were so desperate for God they'd come out on a Wednesday night. But here is, uh, well, certainly, if we are going to see real transformation in Houston, I mean, uh, Planned Parenthood's largest facility closed down. Human trafficking dry up. Divorce rate really changed. If we're going to see real transformation in Houston, then the church across the United States will get desperate about prayer. It will be more important for us to go to prayer service than to watch the debate about the presidential election. We will know when we come to a quagmire revelation like this, we are not shaken at all by the two, uh, oh, I better be careful what kind of words I use here, by the less than desirable candidates here that nobody likes. Uh, because we know that Jesus is in charge, and the only real solutions of our country are spiritual, not political. Now, we're going to vote. In fact, uh, uh, early voting starts Tuesday, uh, Monday. Uh, Monday. Uh, go vote. Vote biblical values. But we all know uh, the answer to our country's issues is not another evangelical president. We've had a number of those in my lifetime, and we're not much different. In fact, we're far worse. We need believers across the United States to get so desperate about prayer. Oh, God, would you please do something? Please do something. And, but that, that's not my main reason, actually. This is what it is. Every single one of us has urgent needs in our families. Big needs. We got cancer. We got children in rebellion. We got children growing up in a a terrible world. We got back pain that's killing us. Uh, we're out of work. I mean, every single one of us, we got huge needs. And if we really want to see the breakthroughs that all of us long for in our individual family needs, we're going to come together. Oh, God, please rescue us and deliver us. And I just believe we're going to see so much more happen if we get desperate uh, in, in our prayer lives. And so, you got a stake in it. Four things. Time with the Lord. Uh, praying throughout the day. Read Simla's book. Come to the prayer service if at all possible. All right, this is what I... Well, one other thing. These prayer bands. we got some prayer bands. And uh, this is what we're going to ask you to do. Pick one up on your way out if you haven't gotten one. And then for the significant things in your life you're praying about. You're praying that this couple who's headed for a divorce, that God rescue their marriage. When that happens, then turn that prayer band over and write down uh, marriage healed and the date. And then the next time you're here on Sunday morning, bring your prayer band and drop it in here. We're going to fill this up and get another one. And we're going to see physically, tangibly, oh yes, God does hear our prayers. And when you do that, grab another prayer band and put it on for the next thing. And we're going to fill that up. And God knows that you and I are in bodies. And he uses physical symbols like we do for a wedding ring, like we do for communion, like he did with the 12 stones in the Jordan River. Sometimes we need some physical symbols to kind of grab a hold of. These are physical symbols. Call out to God. Call upon the name of the Lord. Let's see what God does. Stand with me, please. Okay, take, take a minute or two. And just ask God, what's he wants you to do? 
Now, what I want you to do, what's he want you to do? Just go ahead, ask him, and be quiet. Lord, we know that when you, as it's been said, when you want to do a great work, you set your people to prayer. And we know you're setting us to prayer at a new level. Show us each one. Show me what this looks like in my life. Pour out prayer, Lord. Hear the cries of your people. Amen.